turn around shake hands fellowship one with another
Amen. He is a wonderful Lord, is he not? It's good to have all of you that are visiting with us. And if you are visiting, and as I said a moment ago, if you'll just take that guest card on the inside of the packet that was given to you, fill it out, drop an offering plate in just a little while. We want you to get to know us, and we want to get to know you, and we appreciate so much you being here. Good to have several that are visiting with us. Lisa, Dean, good to have you home. And then I look around, and there's a a few special people were thrilled about sending the service today. It's good to have Alex Paget back with us today. Let's welcome Alex back. Isn't that a blessing? Praise the Lord. And it's good to have Eva DeBoard back. Church done good since. Started to say church done real good since she had been out, but we're good to have Eva back this morning. And good to see her and Joanne Wyndham. Joanne, good to have you. Let's welcome her back. They've all been sick. Glad to have them back in the service. We'll praise the Lord for it. Terry, come up here. The youth have been in Youth Alive this week, and, and the Lord has done some wonderful things. I went up for a day or so to be with them, and my first time to ever go to Youth Alive, it was a real blessing. And I'll let Terry share with you a little bit all the things that God did. Well, I survived another youth trip. I lost my voice and uh, from yelling at the kids. No, I'm teasing. Everything went well this year, and I wanted to come up and thank the church for all the sacrifices that you made so that we could go. I went off without incident other than a, a stink bomb that got put in the wrong room, but I won't mention any names because Alex is here this morning. <laughs> but I want to say to you, and I say this, and I'm not just blabbing, um, I've been on a lot of youth trips both as a teenager and as a youth leader from this church, but I have never been on a youth trip where I saw the Lord work in a more powerful way than I did this week. I don't get up and give reports to you about how the teenagers are doing or, or anything like that because I, I would hope that you would be able to see how the teenagers are doing. But this week I saw young men who hadn't, I don't think have been awake in a church service in about a year, get up and go down to the altar and surrender their life to full-time Christian service. Look me in the eye and say, I, I don't know how or where God's going to use me, but God is going to use me, and I want to be willing to do whatever. I saw a young lady get up and go down to the altar, and uh, she asked me to go, and I went down, and I said, what is it? And she said, I feel like the Lord's calling me to be a missionary. <laughs> I said, well, then you're going to be a missionary. I saw a young lady go down who has been struggling with her salvation for about the last year, and she got assurance of her salvation that night. I saw another young lady got assurance of her salvation. Uh, many, many wonderful decisions were made this week in the lives of our young people, and I tell you what excited me. I turned around in one of the last services, and they were singing that song, Shout to the Lord. And some of those too cool for Sunday school teenage boys and girls had their hands in the air like this. And I saw one boy that got saved about a year ago. And he's not been in church his whole life. He doesn't, he's not seasoned like the rest of us. Or spoiled, I guess I should say. I saw him. He looked like he was doing the tomahawk chop. <laughs> and uh, it might have been comical to the rest of us. But I, I can imagine in heaven <laughs> that God was so pleased to see young people worship. And I have never been as proud to be the youth pastor from Temple Baptist Church as I was this week. I had youth workers walk up to me and say, your kids are amazing. 
One lady said, they have such an energy. I said, no, that's hyperactivity. <laughs> but you would have been proud. I had churches asking me, where are you at? I, we want to get together with your kids and have a youth revival. I want my kids to be a part of what your kids are a part of. And I said, praise God. But I want to thank you this morning, and I want to encourage you as parents to support your kids. Encourage them in their decisions. Talk to them when you go home today if they hadn't already told you, which I believe a lot of them already have. Sit down and say, what happened at Youth Alive? And encourage them to tell you and support them. I told them, I said, when you go back to church, don't be scared to raise your hand. There's nobody going to laugh you out of the building. I said, the truth of the matter is we've got some people at our church who are so dead it'd do them some good to see a teenager raise their hand. Say amen out loud, somebody. I want to thank you for your support of the youth department. And, and we love you and we please ask for your prayers. Thank you. Did you hear what he said? He talked about young people wanting to do the will of God for their life and young people wanting to serve God. And that's something to shout about? Yeah. Give God praise. Get on your feet. Give God praise for that. He's worthy of it. Praise the Lord. Amen. I'm going to tell you the greatest thing ever happened to young people or happened to a church is what God will do in their lives. Amen. Let's let our ushers come forward to receive her offering. And one of the greatest things we've been doing around here lately has been faith. You've heard a lot about faith. Many of you have been involved in faith. It's growing every semester. And, of course, the way it's designed, it uh, grows on its own. And uh, we've just completed our third semester of faith. Forty-some folk were involved in faith. And we're getting ready. We're having a faith banquet coming up in July that all of you will be invited to to learn about faith. You that have been invited to participate about, in faith, you'll be able to learn about faith. And uh, we start our next semester, our fall semester in August. But uh, during the offerings for the next few Sundays, I want to share with you some of those testimonies. We'll put them on the screen. And these are folks that went through faith, and this is the testimonies they give. Of course, in our last uh, faith class, we asked them just to write us a brief word about what faith had meant to them. And I want to share with you some of those testimonies. Many of you are thinking about being a part of faith. You've been approached to be a part of faith. I promise you, nothing will do any more for your life than to serve in faith. And what a blessing it is. And some of these testimonies will reflect that. Father, bless the offering today. Honor the Lord Jesus now through our giving. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before all men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You know, folks, this past week we've, we've seen a lot of, we've heard a lot of messages, the young people and myself have, and, and I got up one morning to stand tall in a world of giants, you know. Our, our main goal in life is to win souls for Jesus. Yeah. Folks, let's never get tired of seeing souls saved. Yeah. Never, never get tired of seeing souls saved. There's people outside those doors that's dying and going to hell. They're going to spend eternity in a lake of fire, and I don't want them to go to hell. I want them to go to heaven to live with Jesus forever. Let's be light in this lost world. It's so easy to, to get bogged down with what this world has to offer. But let's stand tall, folks. Stand tall. Let his light shine through us to the lost world. Lily of the valley, let your sweet aroma fill my life. Rose of Sharon, show me how to grow in beauty in God's sight. And cherished up ten thousand, make me a reflection of your Let your love shine through me in the 
Lord, I see a world that's dying. They're wounded by the master of deceit. They're groping in the darkness. They're haunted by the years past defeat. But
The mere mention of his name can calm the storm, heal the broken, and yes, even raise the dead. At the name of Jesus, I've seen melted derelicts transformed. The light of hope put back in the eyes of a hopeless child. At the name of Jesus, hatred and bitterness are turned into love and forgiveness. Arguments cease. I've had the opportunity to kneel beside my own child in the emergency room where even a straitjacket couldn't hold him for his fear and his pain. And I said, let me talk to him just a second. I kneeled down by his ear and I said, Michael, I'm going to whisper a prayer to Jesus. You just lie still now. And that little six-year-old boy listened as mommy prayed in his ear to Jesus. And folks, I'm here to tell you that he is still working today. That little boy fell asleep without any sedative, laid there throughout the whole operation and woke up just fine at the name of Jesus. Miracles do happen. Forgive me. The Lord has blessed me. I remember bringing my son home from the hospital when the doctor had said that he'd be crippled or mentally retarded. <laughs> and I remember before that, I remember his fever going down. And instead of staying in the hospital for six months or something like that, we were in there nine days. We brought him in. The 
We brought him in the house. He was 18 months old. And didn't know what to expect. My wife had a little toy. One of these little dogs, that wooden dog that you pull that's got wheels on it and got floppy ears and sprang for a tail. And he'd been in the hospital. And she, she set him down in the floor, put that little toy out in front of him. He's supposed to be mentally retarded. And he reaches out and pulls it. He remembered. And we knew everything was going to be all right. The power of prayer is something that this world doesn't understand. When you talk to the Master, You've said it all. With his mighty hand in yours, things happen, friend. Derelicts are transformed. The lights of hope are put back into the eyes of a hopeless child. The lights of hope also go into the eyes of a hopeless sinner like me and like you. You should praise his name this morning. Thank him for his goodness and for his mercy. For God is good. God is great. He is my master. And I don't know whether I can sing for you this morning or not. God has blessed me greatly. And I praise and honor his holy name. What am I supposed to be doing? dark valley no hope within could I see but they searched through heaven and found a savior to save a poor lost soul, hallelujah, like me. Oh, what a Savior, hallelujah, his heart was broken. On Calvary, praise his holy name, his hands were nailed, scarred, his side was riven, he gave his life.
white blood for even me. This cool, chilly water I'll soon be crossing. You think I'm worried about it? But his hand will lead me. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 9 and Romans chapter 10. The book of Romans chapter 9 and Romans chapter 10. I want to talk to you this morning about not being ashamed. Not being ashamed. Would you stand as we honor the reading of His Word? The book of Romans chapter 9 and also Romans chapter 10. One verse from each chapter. I want to point out a few things and then I'll have you follow me to about two other places in the Bible and just point out a few things that God has to say about being ashamed. Look at Romans 9 and verse 33. Romans chapter 9 and verse 33. Scripture says, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense. I notice this next statement. And whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Look at the last part of verse 33. Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Look in Romans 10, verse 11. Romans chapter 10, verse 11. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Now let's read verse 11 together. Will you read it with me? Romans 10, 11. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Thank you. you. May be seated. Let's pray. And this morning I want to share with you just a few things about not ashamed. Our Father, this morning in Jesus' name, we have gathered here and it's been a blessing to gather in the house of the Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the name of Christ that has been exalted, for the work that you have done in hearts. 
for the testimonies of your saving power and for your ability to work in our lives. For all of these things, we give you thanks and we give you praise. They give us more reason, Lord, to not be ashamed. So speak to us today. Get our attention. Let us listen to you. Help us in our Christian life. May we leave this building stronger in our life as a believer. As a result of this service, for it is in Jesus' name we pray, and for His sake we ask these things. Amen. I wonder if you've ever had an embarrassing moment in your life. Have you ever been embarrassed at one time or another? I'm, I have. I'm not going to tell you any about my experiences. But uh, we've all at one time or another had our embarrassing moments. I think about one pastor that I read about that was visiting his members and he stopped at a particular house, knocked on the door. Nobody came to the door. He could hear the TV and he could see the car was in the driveway. So he knew that somebody had to be there. So he knocked and knocked and knocked. Nobody came to the door. So he finally left the note that read, Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. Well, the following Sunday morning, the member that he visited put this note in the offering plate to be given to the preacher, and it read Genesis 3.10. I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. Well, <laughs> you can say we've all had our embarrassing moments. But I want to say to you this morning, there is one area in which we should never be guilty of being embarrassed. And there is one area that we should never be guilty of being ashamed or being intimidated. And that is the matter of being a child of God. We should never be ashamed about the fact that we have been saved. We should never be ashamed about the fact that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. Now, I know that we live in a world in society that can be very, very intimidating. I think about these young people over here and the young people throughout the building. In high school, young people can be socially intimidated and made to feel embarrassed about being a Christian because you're not in the in crowd. And you don't do what the in crowd does. And you don't go where the in crowd goes. And all the peer pressure that goes along with it can make you a bit ashamed and somewhat intimidated about being a Christian and standing for Christ and speaking out for the Lord. I think about young people in our colleges and universities. Sometimes that can be a very intellectual, intimidating experience. You'd be made to feel that inferior because you believe the Bible to be the Word of God and made to feel inferior because you believe not only the Bible, the Word of God, but Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and the Savior of the world. Some professor with his Ph.D. and a coat and a shirt and a tie that do not match and hair that looks like it had been combed in about a month, he'll get up in front of a class in his intellectual tones and he began pushing his humanistic ideology and his evolutionary theories and he'll ridicule the Bible. And he'll seek to tear and make shipwreck of the faith of young people. And he'll make them feel that they're uneducated or foolish to believe such things. When I think about such professors, I think about one particular professor on one particular day. And he happened to get on the subject of the existence of God. 
And he was talking to his students and he pointed them toward the windows and said, I would like for you to look in the direction of the windows. And all the students turned and looked in the direction of the windows. And he said, I want you to look out the windows. He said, do you see the trees? And the students nodded their head. He said, do you see the grass? And the students nodded their heads. He said, do you see the flowers? And the students nodded their heads. He said, do you see the sky out that window or out those windows? And the students nodded their heads. And then he said, I want to ask you one more question. Look out those windows and tell me, do you see God? There was silence for a moment. Then the professor had all the students turn their attention toward him. And he said, I ask you one more time. Did anybody see God when you looked out those windows? Well, nobody said a word. And then the professor said, that's my point. You did not see God because there is no God. God is not real. God, number one, do you see the professor? And the students slowly nodded their head. And he said, I asked one more question to make my point, and then I'll sit down. Then he said, do you see the professor's brain? Think about that. You'll catch that in just a little while. Some of you, I need to ask you that question, amen? But I think about those that would make you feel and intellectually intimidate you. I think about the rest of us. We live in a world and a society that can be politically intimidating. You can go to meetings and different things and everybody can say anything they want to and talk about anything they'd like to talk to as long as it don't have anything to do with God and as long as it don't have anything to do with Christ and as long as you're not a Christian. Somebody can babble on for about 30 minutes about this right and that right and this freedom and that freedom and when they get through, they'll give them a standing ovation. But let somebody that names the name of Jesus Christ talk about anything that has to do with moral matters and biblical matters and a Moan will be heard throughout the crowd. And you'd overhear someone say, Oh, no, there's another one of those religious fanatics. We live in a society that can be very, very intimidating. And we live in an hour that can be very, very intimidating to the believer. But I want you to listen to me this morning. I want to say to you in the very beginning and then back it up with the Scripture that as a child of God, you don't have to be ashamed. And as a child of God, you don't have to be intimidated. And as a child of God, you don't have to be embarrassed. In fact, the Bible tells us that we should not be embarrassed. I think about something Jesus said. Mark chapter 8 and verse 38. Jesus said, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said that if I am ashamed of him and embarrassed of him in this life, there will come a day that I will be an embarrassment to him in the next life. We're not to be ashamed. Well, what does the Bible say about being ashamed? I want to point out three things this morning briefly about what the Bible would indicate about the matter of being ashamed. Notice the first thing from our text in Romans 9 and Romans 10. And when I look at what the Bible has to say about being ashamed, I see that first of all, that when we are ashamed, it is being disobedient to what is expected in the believer. When we are ashamed as a child of God, and when we are embarrassed and we blush over the name of Jesus and being a child of God, it is being disobedient to what is expected of us as a believer. Look at our text again, Romans 9, 33. And as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Look at Romans 10, verse 11. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not 
be ashamed. Twice Paul said, Whosoever believes in Christ and believes on Christ shall not be ashamed. Now look at the statement for a moment. You see two things from the statement. For one thing, Paul has a word about our salvation or salvation and our faith. He talks about he that believeth on Christ. He that believeth on the Lord Jesus. He's talking about salvation. And he talks about salvation as being a matter of faith. Paul again said, whosoever believeth on him. Paul is telling us that our salvation comes from putting our faith in Christ. Are you listening to me this morning? You're not saved because of how you live. You ought to live right. But you're not saved because of how you live. Amen? You're not saved because you're a Baptist. You're not saved because you're a Catholic. You're not saved because you're Church of God or any other denomination. You're saved because you put your faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. But someone might say, but preacher, I believe if we all do our best, then we'll all get to heaven and God will let us all into heaven. I ask you one thing. Where in the Bible does it say anything about doing your best to get to heaven? It talks about a Christian doing his best because he's going to heaven, but it ain't no place in the Bible. You ever find a word where it tells us to do our best in order to get to heaven. No, doing your best won't save you. I've heard this before. Someone, I've heard this time and time again. If anybody will get to heaven, they're talking about somebody, uh, maybe that has died or whatever, and they say, if anybody, if anybody will make it to heaven, he will or she will. And what they meant in that statement was that they were going to go to heaven because of how they had lived. Now, I want you to listen to me today. You will not get to heaven based on how you live. You can be the most moral individual that ever lived and still die in your sins and go to hell. He that believeth on Christ finds salvation. You're not saved by your deeds. You're not saved by your actions. You're not saved by your works. You're saved through Jesus Christ and Him alone. talks about salvation in our faith. We not only talks about salvation in our faith, but he also talks about salvation in our feelings. He that believeth on him, that's our faith, shall not be ashamed. That's how we feel about the matter. He says those that have put their faith in Christ shall not be ashamed. He's declaring in that statement there that the person who puts their faith in Christ will not be put to shame. They will not be disappointed. And therefore, as a believer, we're not to be ashamed of the fact that we are a child of God. Now look at the statement. He that believeth on Christ shall not be ashamed. Now would you not agree with me that our text gives the impression that not being ashamed is what is expected of the believer? Do you not get that impression there when it says that he that puts his faith in Christ shall not be ashamed? That not being ashamed is what God expects of those who have put their faith in Christ. Do you not get that impression in that statement? And would you not agree with me that the, other fl the flip side of the coin would be that because we have put our faith in Christ, that we are not to be ashamed and that being ashamed would not be expected of the believer. In other words, if you have been saved, you are not to be ashamed. God expects you. To not be ashamed. If you have trusted Him and He has saved you, then what God expects of your life is that you be not ashamed. The word ashamed there is a word that literally means to blush at something. It's like somebody says something and it embarrasses you and you blush. Or somebody does something or you do something and you blush about the matter. That's what he's talking about. That a child of God, it is expected in their life that they be not ashamed. Now let me ask you a couple of questions. When you're out in public, 
Somebody walks up to you and starts talking about God and starts talking about Jesus Christ. Do you blush and look around and wonder who's and look around to see who's watching and who is listening? And as they talk about the Lord, do you find yourself thinking, boy, I wish they wouldn't talk as loud? Or on your job, do you find yourself a little bit embarrassed that you are a Christian or to say something about Jesus Christ? Well, let me say this. If you're embarrassed and you're intimidated about being a Christian, then you're being disobedient to what is expected to you as a believer. One thing blessed my heart this week. I drove up the young people. I, I meant they testified a while ago about what old God did. I drove up. Uh, to be there, and I wanted to go up for a couple of reasons. One, I wanted to go to the meeting, and two, I wanted to see the building this particular church had built, Peace Haven Baptist Church. And when I got into Yakinville, North Carolina, I got in there about three in the afternoon, and I had drove for several hours, and so I went into an Eckerd's drugstore. And I walked into an Eckerd's drugstore, and when I walked in, the first thing that got my attention was the music they were playing over the intercom. And it was, I'm not talking about some distant background music. I'm talking about the kind of music that was loud enough that it got your attention when you walked in the door. And when I walked in the door, I hadn't stepped 10 foot in the store and a, the music got my attention. They were playing gospel music, southern gospel music over the intercom. And the first thing I thought about was if they tried that in Chattanooga, they'd be out there with signs the next day. Somebody would be griping and somebody growling about the matter. But it was very obvious, whoever was playing it, whoever the manager was, it was very obvious what he was doing. Well, before I left there, I made a point to look the manager up. I went in there and got the things that I needed and whatever, and I made a point to look the manager up. One, I wanted to find out how to get to the church, and two, I wanted to thank him for playing gospel music over the intercom. And so I found him, and I said, first of all, do you know how to get to Booger Swamp Road? That's the street that the church is on, Booger Swamp Road. And he grinned real big, and he said, you're going to Youth Alive, aren't you? And I said, yes. And he said, that's my church. And I said, well, tell me how to get there. And then I said, sir, he said, I, I, said, I want to thank you for not being ashamed of Jesus Christ. You see what I'm saying? The Bible tells us to not be ashamed. It is expected in the believer. Would you say amen? amen. Well, let me give you a second thing. Turn to Romans, or rather 2 Timothy 1. When I look at what the Bible has to say about being ashamed, I see for one thing that when I am ashamed, it is disobedient to what is expected of me as a believer. If I have put my faith in Christ, then it's expected of me that I will not be ashamed. But look in 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy 1.12. 2 Timothy 1.12. I want you to look at Paul's own personal testimony. When you talk about not being ashamed, I want you to listen to what Paul said. He tells us, he gives his testimony, and notice what he said. 2 Timothy 1.12. Paul said, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Now notice this next statement. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Notice. Paul declares, I am not ashamed. Verse 11, he mentions the fact that he's a preacher. That is someone that tells people about Jesus. And he mentions in verse 11 that he's a teacher. That's someone that teaches others about Jesus Christ. And then he indicates in verse 12 that he has suffered because of the fact that he's a preacher. And he has suffered, the fact, suffered because that he is a teacher. And because he's told people about Christ and he spoke up for Christ and stood up for Christ, it has caused him to suffer. 
But he says, nevertheless, I am not ashamed. It's like Paul is saying, I don't care what anybody says about me. I don't care what anybody does to me. I am not ashamed. Why was Paul not ashamed? Look at verse 12. There's one thing. For one thing, there was the Savior he knew. Paul said, I know whom I have believed. Notice carefully, he did not say, I know what I have believed. Knowing what, what you believe is very, very important. Very, very important what you believe. But Paul does not talk about what I have believed. He talks about whom I have believed. Paul is saying that he had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I said a moment ago, your salvation does not depend upon what you do. I want you to understand today, salvation is not a program. Salvation is not a prayer. Salvation is not a method. Salvation is a person. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And Paul said, I'm not ashamed. He said, I have a personal relationship with Christ. Paul had more than religion. Paul had a Redeemer. He had done more than turn over a new leaf. He had received a new Lord. He had done more than join a church. He had met Christ. He had a personal relationship with Jesus. But second of all, in verse 12, he not only talks about the Savior he knew, but the salvation he had. For he declares that he was persuaded. He not only knew that Jesus Christ was his Savior, but he was persuaded that he was able to keep that which he had committed unto him against that day. Paul said, not only do I have a relationship with Christ, but God is keeping me. And God has given me a sure salvation. And God has given me a secure salvation. Therefore, it doesn't matter. People may attack me because I'm a preacher. And people may make fun of me because I'm a Christian. But I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. And am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Now you think with me for just a moment. Think with me for just a moment. Are you with me now? Say amen. Think with me. How many of you are saved? Would you lift your hand? I'm going to tell you what happened. When you got saved, a person moved inside of you. Jesus has saved you. Jesus Christ has saved you. The Lord Jesus Christ has saved you. He has given you a new life. He has forgiven you of your sin. He has made heaven your eternal home. There is not a moment that he is not with us. There is never a moment that he'll ever let us down. Jesus Christ is our Savior. Now, when you think about it, now think about it. You remember before you got saved? You remember how screwed up and messed up your life was before you got saved? You remember the guilt of your sin? You remember the shame of your sin? You remember the fear of dying and going to hell? Now today, you're saved. You know you're saved. Your sins are forgiven. Tell me why in this world would you want to be ashamed after all that God has done for you and after all that Christ has meant for you? You ought to jump up and down when you think about you don't have to go to hell, you're going to heaven. You're not blinded by the God of this world, but your eyes have been opened to the grace of God. You ought to jump up and say, bless God, I'm proud to be a Christian. Amen. Give God praise. Amen. You ought to be proud that you've been saved. 
kind of feel like the little lady during the Civil War. She's sitting on the porch when the army come marching through town. She got so stirred up about it, she grabbed her broom, ran out there and got in line with them. Someone said, Granny, you can't fight with a broom. She said, I know that, but I wanted everybody to know whose side I was on. Amen. I've been saved. I want you to listen to me. I've been saved. And Paul said, I know Jesus. I'm not ashamed. He has given me eternal life. I'm not ashamed. You know what is sad? Is there are people that have been saved by God's grace. God saved you out of hell. Wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life and saved you from hell and all of those things. And you are so embarrassed to stand up and say anything for God or to be identified as a child of God. You ought to be ashamed that you're ashamed. After Jesus having a Savior like Jesus Christ and having a salvation like you, God, how in the world could you be ashamed of it? I'll tell you something, it's even sadder. Are you still with me? Can I meddle for a moment? Can I meddle for a moment? I'm going to meddle whether you give me permission or not, but I thought it'd help you to feel better if you said yes. Can I meddle for a moment? I'll tell you something, it's even sadder. Not only that folks are saved and they're out there in the world and it's shame that anybody knows they're saved, shame to say anything for God, shame to stand up for Jesus Christ, but I'll tell you something, it's even sadder. And that's folks that come to church and act like they're ashamed of Jesus Christ. They'll come to church and they say, and why can these services here? Someone said, you're not the average Baptist church. And I said, thank God. Say amen right there. Now, we're not charismatic in any fashion, just in case you have any questions. We don't talk in tongues. We don't have healing lines. And you don't have to talk in tongues. You don't have to have healing lines to worship God. And don't ever think about trying to talk in tongues or whatever like that. We can stop the service right quickly. Er, time to do it. Mark that down. Don't ever worry about that. We're not going to put up with this fee-fi-fo stuff. We're not going to do that. We'll stop that quickly. But I want you to listen to me. Thank God we're not the average Baptist church. The average Baptist church is dead as 4 o'clock in the morning. But I've seen folks, some of you sitting here, folks that come to church and need to get on. I see the choir that come out, one or two get to clapping. And the others that start like, maybe I better do it. I look like the only one up here that's not clapping. And folks will say, lift your hands to the Lord. And some of you, this way you do. It's almost like you're embarrassed. I, I hate to, I hate to uh, tell you this, but if you've done told folks you come to Temple Baptist, they know what kind of church you're coming to, so you're already branded. They already think you're fanatic. Say amen. amen. Say amen. amen. Somebody says glory. You'll bring your family. Oh, you want them to come. Oh, you're so proud of your preacher. And you're so proud of your church. And you want your family to come. And then they come, and lo and behold, if Brother Ken doesn't do something off the wall and let loose a war hoop and somebody shouts and somebody jumps up and it makes you, embarrasses you to death. I look around and I see some of you and I think you're a little bit embarrassed. I, sometimes maybe I want to just get up in the flesh and just do something odd and stupid and just run and jump just to embarrass you. Say amen right there. Listen to me. I don't know about you. But on April the 2nd, 1972, I walked into an old building one morning. My soul was burdened down with sin. I was in the chains of sin and on my way to hell. I was in a mess. Oh, God knows what a mess my life was in. But God saved me and Jesus lifted me out. And I want you to know I'm not ashamed of Jesus. He saved me. He bought me. He cleansed me. He gave me eternal life and I'm not ashamed of what he's done.
You should not be ashamed. Bless his holy name. When you come to church, don't be ashamed of Jesus. Don't be ashamed to lift your hands. Don't be ashamed to shout. Don't be ashamed to give him glory. God's done too much for you to be ashamed. Give him praise, blessed be his name. I know whom I have believed. I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Glory to God. Yeah, bless his name. Don't be ashamed of Jesus Christ. Now, that didn't hurt some of you, did it? Oh, bless his name. God's been too good for us to be intimidated by this world. God's done too much for us to be embarrassed. You young people, when you go to school back in the fall, don't be ashamed to be Christian. God's done something wonderful for you. When you go to the workplace, don't be ashamed. I know. Paul said, whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him. Don't be ashamed of Jesus Christ. Amen? Look at one more passage of Scripture. Look at one more. I like that, don't you? I may go back, you do that again, I'll preach that point again. Amen? That's the way y'all come to church every Sunday. We didn't come to a funeral home. This is a celebration. It's a celebration of poor old hell-deserving sinners saved by grace and excited about it. Don't be ashamed. But look at one more place in Romans 1.16. When I look at what the Bible says about being ashamed, I find for one thing it is disobedient to what God expects of me as a believer. And it is... Uh, to, and I find, second of all, that, that it is disrespectful for what I have experienced as a believer. For God to do so much for you and you'd be ashamed, that's disrespectful. But Romans 1.16, I find that being ashamed is detrimental to what is entrusted to us as a believer. Romans 1.16, Paul said, For I am not ashamed of Christ, or the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God and His salvation. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Once again, Paul says, I'm not ashamed. This time it has to do with the gospel. Look at it. He talks about the might of the gospel. Paul declares that the gospel is the power of God and his salvation. I'm going to tell you something. Right here is the most powerful thing known to man. The blessed gospel of Jesus Christ. We've all known of those who they've tried this program and tried that program and go through it and do all right for a while but end up in the same mess they were before and even worse. But yet I've seen people come and kneel at an old-fashioned altar like this. Somebody take that Bible and show them how to be saved and then on their knees, they get up off their knees, a new creature in Christ Jesus. That's the might of the gospel. He talks about the message of the gospel. He talks about the power of God unto salvation to the Jew and to the Greek. Paul looks at the gospel not only as something that is powerful to change a man, but he looks at it as something that he is to tell others about, a message to share, a message to give to others. Paul looked at the gospel as that which had been entrusted to him to tell others about Jesus Christ. Now think with me for a moment. I'm about through. If a man is intimidated about being a Christian, 
And if a man is embarrassed or ashamed about standing up for Christ or speaking up for Christ, it'll be detrimental to what has been entrusted to you. Do you realize today we have all been entrusted with the gospel? That is, we've all been given the responsibility to tell others about what has happened to us. The word witness in Acts 1, ye shall be witnesses unto me. You know what the word witness means? It is a legal term of somebody that has been subpoenaed to court to testify about something they know. You are a witness of Jesus Christ. You tell people about what Jesus has done for you. You're a witness for that. You've been entrusted with that. But if you're intimidated to share the gospel, you'll not share the gospel. If you're embarrassed about being a Christian, you won't tell other people about Jesus Christ. I give this story, I'm through. I'm sure most everybody in this room today recognizes the name D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was probably used of God as much as any one human being in church history. God used him in a great way, and his ministry is still felt today, even though he's been dead over 100 years. You recognize the name. But I'll ask you today, how many of you recognize the name Edward Kimball? I'm sure the majority of you, and maybe one or two here, know that name. But Edward Kimball, let me tell you about him. He was a Sunday school teacher. And he had a group of boys, about 12 boys in his class, about 15, 16, 17 years old. Edward Kimball, he never really talked to the boys about being saved. And he never really had a burden for them. But he began, began to get burdened about those boys in his Sunday school class. And he began to get burdened about them being saved. And he decided he was going to talk to them. He went down to a shoe store in Boston, Massachusetts to talk to one of his pupils. He was so nervous. He was so scared that he paced back and forth in front of that shoe store trying to work up enough courage to go in there and talk to that teenage boy about the need of being Christ, about being saved. And finally, Edward Kimball walked inside, went back to the back of the store and found his student there putting shoes up and he called him by name and said, Dwight, I want to talk to you. And that day, that Sunday school teacher, Edward Kimball, led led D.L. Moody to Jesus Christ. Many of you are so intimidated about sharing your faith and telling others about Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you what the answer, what my, my opinion is, what I believe this whole world needs. This old world has had enough religion, it's choking to death on religion. This old world is, is, is so messed up in the way it thinks and everything, and, and, and this world, people's lives are, are just burned out, and they're, and they're so messed up in this, and they're messed up in that, and the soul of man is crying out for something that they want. And I'll tell you what I believe it is. Not religion, but people that have been saved by God's grace and are excited about what Jesus Christ has done for them. And they tell it everywhere they go. Telling folks about Jesus. I'm not ashamed. Are you ashamed? Let me give you a prayer. Look at Psalm 31. Look at Psalm 31. Let's just say you're a little bit intimidated about speaking up for Christ. You're a little bit ashamed about worshiping at church. You'd like to worship. But you're afraid what somebody would say. Forget about what anybody says. Think about what God wants. Maybe you're a little hesitant about it. You young people over here, talk about you praising God. That's good. Just keep it. Keep going. And maybe you're a little intimidated about praising the Lord. Maybe you're a little intimidated about sharing your faith. I want you to pray this prayer. Look at Psalm 31, verse 1. Look at it. I want you to pray this prayer. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in thy righteousness. Now, will you pray that prayer? Let's stand on their feet. 
You shouldn't be ashamed because being ashamed is disobedient to what is expected in your life as a believer. Being ashamed is disrespectful of what you have experienced in your life as a believer. Being ashamed is detrimental to what has been entrusted to you as a believer. You should not be ashamed. You ought to fall on your knees and say, Dear Lord, in Thee do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. When we sing in a moment, I'll ask you to do a couple of things. One, if you're here today and you're not saved, we've been talking about Jesus and what He can do for you. People have testified today of what He can do in His power. I'm going to invite you to come. I don't care who you are or where you're from. This may be the first time you've ever been to Temple Baptist. You may have never been in a service like this, but I'm going to invite you to come. I want you to come. We'll take the Bible, God's Word, and we'll show you how you can be saved. We'll show you how you can leave this building today knowing that heaven is your home. You don't have to go through life guessing. You don't have to go through life hoping. You can know. Paul said, I know whom I have believed. You can know. And I want you to come today. If you're here and you're not saved, I want you to come. You're here and you've been saved. The first thing God wants you to do is follow the Lord in believers' baptism. Now, we're going to baptize next Sunday night. We got adults that are following the Lord in believers' baptism, and we're going to be baptizing next Sunday night. But you know what baptism is? Baptism is the first step in your Christian life. Because what baptism is, is you making a public statement of what has happened in your life. Now, baptism won't save you. And it won't take you to heaven. But here's what you do. Somewhere there's a point you got on your face or knees before God and you ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and say, that was a personal matter. That was a private matter. But when you follow the Lord in believer's baptism, you get up there in that baptistry, what you're doing is you're making it public. You're telling everybody out there in that building that I have trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. As you stand in that water, you're saying, I have put my faith in the death of Christ. As I lower you under the water, you're saying, I have put my faith in the burial of Christ. And as you come out of the water, I have put my faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's a public way of saying, it's God's way of you uh, taking a public step and being not ashamed of Jesus Christ. What you ought to do, if you have been saved, never follow the Lord in believer's baptism, you ought to say today, I will not be ashamed. I'm going to come. I want the world to know what God has done for me. You're here today and you're not saved. You ought to come and you ought to give your life and live for God and serve God. You ought to. After all God's done for you and after as good as God has been, you ought to live for Him. That's the least you can do for Him. It's to live for Him. And you ought to come. Some of you today, God is leading you to become a part of Temple Baptist Church. You ought to come. I'm excited about what the Lord is doing. Tonight in the evening services, I begin what I'm going to call sharing the vision. And three stages will share the vision. And then we'll begin to prepare for the vision. And so we're like, we're going to be, I'll start tonight with sharing the vision. Over the next several weeks, letting you know. I've been saying a lot of things. I want you to help me. I want you to understand where we're going, what I'm thinking, and where we're heading. I want you to be here tonight for that. But I want you to come. There may be folks that want to come and unite with our church. Many of you all just get out of your seat today in a public way. Just walk right down here and just kneel just to say to everybody here, I'm saved. I'm going to kneel in that altar to let folks know that Jesus Christ is my Savior and Lord and I am not ashamed. Young people ought to come and kneel and say, I'm, going to be, I'm not going to be ashamed of Jesus anymore. 
When I go back to school in the fall, I'm not going to be ashamed of Jesus. When I go over to the university, I'm not going to be ashamed of Jesus. I'm not going to be ashamed of Jesus in the office. I'm not going to be ashamed of Jesus in the marketplace, in the workplace. I am not going to be ashamed. You ought to come today and just kneel and say, I, want to, I don't want to be ashamed. Or just come and stand, but I will not be ashamed. And pray this prayer, let me never be ashamed. Father, seal the word in Jesus' name. Amen.